0: Good morning, church family. Let's use our imagination for a second. You're at home, your parents' house, and it's the morning and you're getting ready for the day. Your mom comes into your room. You know, Grand Uncle Coe's in town. Who? You know, Grand Uncle Coe, he's uh, grandfathers, sisters, brothers, cousins. Daughters, I don't know, something, something like that. You know, he travels a lot? Uh, no. Well, uh, you should have lunch with him sometime. Um, I'm, I'm okay. Actually, you're having lunch with him today. I already made the appointment. What? No, I'm not. An hour later, you find yourself at Mama Lou's dumpling house, <laughs> slouched across the table from a older middle-aged gentleman. Three trays of dumplings steam quietly in front of you. So, he says, grab me a dumpling. What are you doing with your life? I'm an engineer, you say. Engineer? Is that all? It's clearly not going well. Uncle Co was a, a successful businessman. Maybe you should have been a doctor or a lawyer. Well, I, I might go back to school, you say. I might get my master's. School? You know the richest people in life didn't even go to school. They just know where to strike when the when the iron's hot. They know where the oil is. They go for it, kid. Eh, it's not going to matter anyway," he says after a pause. "Government's going to take all your money in the end. You married yet?" He says. "No, I've. I was in a relationship. I broke up a few months ago." He said, "Ah." Just as well, it's all, all the same. It's going gonna to end up bad anyway. Uncle Co had a couple of hard marriages. Your mom would talk about them in hushed voices. Well, no matter, he said, you're just like the rest of them, said looking out the window. It's all kind of a big joke anyway. All the fluff, you see everyone chasing. Nah. Just enjoy your life, kid, said with a cynical grin. It only goes downhill for you from here. What do you say to Uncle Co? He's got the life experience. He's got money. He's lived longer than you. Should you really go back to school? Maybe. You know, should you even consider getting married? Should you change jobs? I don't know. I need to go home and rethink my life. Stepping into your house, your mom looks up from her computer. So how was lunch with Uncle Co? He said some interesting things. He had some kind of weird views on life. Your mom nods over her glasses. I know. I wanted you to hear them. Well, hopefully that's never happened to you. But what would you say to Uncle Coe's view of the world? Is he right? Is his view of the world correct? How you view the world in the end really matters. You know, is getting this degree even worth it? Um, Is being honest when no one's watching, does that add up to anything in the end at all? I'd sure like to know in the end. So how would you respond? What would you say in response to a secular view of the world? When you're confronted with worldly wisdom, what is your response to it then? And what are you going to say when you're across the table from someone younger? What are you going to say to them when they are confronted with secular thought, with worldly wisdom, with that approach of life? Well, let's take a look at how the Bible approaches this. How does the Bible instruct us to view the world? How does the Bible instruct us to approach life? So let's turn to Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, and see what God says in his word. Ecclesiastes is after Proverbs, the middle of the Old Testament. It's before the Song of Solomon, before Isaiah as well. Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And while you're turning there, one of the unique things about the book of Ecclesiastes is there seems to be at least two, or there's two people kind of speaking in it the whole center part of the book, you have a guy, we'll just call it the preacher. And he takes up most of that middle section, if not all of the book. And then on the front, you have a guy I'll just call it the narrator. He takes up the first 11 verses. It's kind of like he's introducing what the preacher is going to say. He kind of gives a summary at the start. And then the narr- the preacher speaks, and then the narrator shows up at the end again. And so it's kind of like you have an MC. He's introducing what the speaker is going to talk about. Preacher comes up. Speaks, and then the narrator comes back up and comments on it. So that's kind of the structure of the book here. You can see the breakdown on the screen. So who is this preacher guy who takes up most of the book? Some wonder if he's Solomon, and for good reason. You can see uh, he talks about being king in Jerusalem, son of David. Uh, there's a lot of parallels to Solomon's life. There's wisdom. Uh, a lot of concubines, uh, a lot of wells and buildings, things like that. Uh, however, it's possible that the writer more uh, the preacher is like a Solomon-esque figure. He's kind of taking on characteristics of Solomon, meant to parallel him, perhaps intentionally. But it may not have been Solomon who actually was saying these things. So, in the end, what is called the preacher. So let's jump in. Uh, a big word you're going to see throughout is the word vanity. Now, vanity, uh, it's sort of like meaningless, or it's translated that way sometimes. It's sort of like life is futile, uh, purposeless, sort of an emptiness to it when you see the word vanity. That's going to come up throughout it. And his main question he's asking is, what does man gain from all his toil in his life under the sun? What does man gain from all this work, all the things he's putting his hand to? What's it worth? So let's take a look at the narrator's introduction. This is Ecclesiastes starting at the very beginning, first one. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? among those who come after. So the narrator here introduces the preacher's findings. He sums them up and gives them to us before we hear the preacher. Life is cyclical, nothing new. It's vanity, futile, meaningless. And so you hear the same from the preacher in Ecclesiastes 1.12. The, the, the preacher begins to speak here. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Okay, so here the preacher restates things again. Life is a vanity. It's, it's futile. It's meaningless. Emptiness. It's striving after the wind the preacher is going to look at the world around him and see what he observes. You see language like under the sun a lot, seeing you know, what's here on the earth that I can see. And he's going to draw his conclusions from his observations. Okay? He's doing empirical kind of research, I guess. Now, let's look a little at his, how is he going to do it? Well, in Ecclesiastes 1.17, he tells us, And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Okay, so how is the preacher conducting his research? Is he only looking at wisdom? No, right? He is also looking at madness and folly. So he's not confining himself to just wisdom, saying like, by wisdom, I'll, I'll seek out what's, what's there in the world. But it's also, I'm going to check out madness and folly and see if I can figure out life that way too. So traditional wisdom, like in Proverbs, only seeks out one of them, right? They only seek out, you know, do wisdom, wisdom's good, folly's not, embrace wisdom. That's how you're going you know, to figure out life and live life. Uh, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs 3.13, it extols wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. That's pretty different than Ecclesiastes, or at least what we're seeing right here, saying that with wisdom is vexation and sorrow, um, the, so, so the preacher is deviating from traditional wisdom, okay? He's approaching this different than Proverbs. Okay, now let's jump in. What does the preacher find? Well, first, he's like, I'm going to check out Pleasure. I'm going to try to get as much pleasure out of life as I can and see what that yields in my life. And so he, he checks out all the things that please the eye, the body. Ecclesiastes one he begins, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Ecclesiastes 2, 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So this is kind of like freshman in college is like, you know, I worked pretty hard in high school to get here, and I really disciplined myself and designed myself, so I'm just going to let loose this first semester, and I'm going to have, uh, enjoy all that college has for me. I'm going to go to all the parties, I'm going to uh, party, stay up super late at night, do the drinks, do the uh, immoral things, and just totally give myself to it, No, no not barring anything. And then after uh, the partying, the staying ablade, late, all those things, after the hangovers, the empty wallet, the getting expelled because he never went to class, all his friends being gone because he's back at home with his parents, he realizes it was all for nothing. Vanity of vanities. Pleasure, pleasure don't work. It's like that. He then goes on to check out wisdom. Okay, well, pleasure didn't work, so let's try wisdom. Let's see if, if I pursue being as wise as possible, maybe that'll give me meaning in life. And so he, he pursues wisdom and living life in that way. But he, he bumps into something pretty quickly, saying, that okay, I've gained all this wisdom, and I've lived the certain way, but in the end, that guy over there, the, the college guy, I'm going to die just like him, if not maybe earlier. And in the end, what does that add up to? I pursued all this wisdom, lived this certain way, and that guy, I'm going to die right next to him. Same thing. I'm going to get sick and die just like him. So in the end, what's, why this pursuit of wisdom? Yeah, wisdom's better than folly, but in the end, it's, it's all going to burn. So in Ecclesiastes 2.14, the preacher says, the wise person, he has eyes in his head, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. Like, how many of you know if your great-great-grandfather was wise or foolish? In the end, however you lived his life, you don't know. There's not a remembrance, perhaps, of him. And it just feels like this is all meaningless in the end. The preacher then takes on toil and work. He looks at his work and saying, maybe I work really hard and I build things and I gain all that I can with my strength and my effort, maybe that will produce it. But surprise, surprise, in the end, toil also didn't produce it because he was saying, look, I'm building all these things, I'm toiling my life, and in the end, all of what I've toiled for is going to go to someone who didn't do a lick of work for this. I'm building up all this stuff for someone who's not who, who didn't work for it, and who knows whether he's going to be wise or a fool. He might burn the whole thing to the ground in a day, and I've toiled a whole lifetime for this. Ecclesiastes 2.18 I hated all my toil in which I toiled. You guys okay with these long, like, kind of depressing scripture readings? I mean... <laughs> It's not as, yeah, (laughs) we'll get through it. Uh, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. You can keep going through 23 if you'd really like. I'm going to skip it, Laura. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's like you worked through you know your whole life, amassed all this stuff um, and then you get sick and you're dying in the ICU and your children are out on a lavish vacation with your money without you and your grandchildren are gambling away the money you gave them in the hallways of their school and you're like, why did I even, why did I even do this? Lastly, he pursues wealth, money, and in the end, neither will this satisfy. He says, money produces all sorts of problems. More money, more problems, kind of thing. You got this. You're busy. You're, you're stressing out over it. Someone might steal it. It might go away. What if this business venture doesn't go through? Ecclesiastes five ten. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Well, we'll pause there. So wealth will not satisfy can bring vexation and trouble Can ultimately be unstable, it can be lost. There's no ultimate security in wealth. And so again, and in the end, death. Lost it all. Okay. So promised this would go somewhere, right? Where's this all going? After the futility of of uh, pleasure, of toil, of wisdom, of wealth. So what? Here's his conclusion. Here's his advice. Enjoy life now. Enjoy life now. Ecclesiastes 2.24. There is nothing better, in the end, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. So since pleasure, wisdom, all these things don't, don't work, might as well just enjoy what you can out of life enjoy these little things food and drink hopefully your work maybe uh, cuz in the end life's all meaningless and so in the end this is a it's it's you see it throughout the book he returns again and again to eat and drink and uh, enjoy life under the sun and in the end this is a it's a consolation this is not a so here's the meaning in life guys Eat, drink, and enjoy life. No, because there's no meaning in life, well, you might as well just enjoy what you can out of it. So hopefully you can enjoy your food and your drink and maybe a little bit of work, because in the end, it's all futile. Life is meaningless, so all you hope for is to enjoy the little pleasures of life before you are swept away in death. Okay, I'm sure by now you're experiencing a bit of dissonance. Like, okay, so eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. See, basically what he's saying? So a big question to Ecclesiastes is, how are we supposed to take this preacher guy? How are we supposed to understand him? How are we supposed to take his message? Is it positively? And like, this is true wisdom right here. If you you dig it, dig it out. It's true wisdom. Or is it, uh, no, negatively, this is not... Uh, by itself, true and godly wisdom. So we've seen that there's a bit of, you know, disconnect. Okay, so, so as we're evaluating, so how are we supposed to take this preacher guy? Let's take a look again. He's sort of disconnected himself from traditional wisdom of Proverbs. We've already looked at that a bit. Um, the traditional wisdom of Proverbs is, is it's kind of like there's a deed and then there's the consequence. So you do something good, you do a good deed, good consequence, you do a bad deed, bad consequence. This is kind of generally how it works, right? What does the preacher think about that sort of talk? Ecclesiastes 7.15. 7.15. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Hmm. So, do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked, and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. That's interesting. The one who fears God comes forth with both. He's saying that the one who takes hold of both wisdom and folly is the one who's truly doing what's best. Hold on to both. So the preachers let go of the traditional two ways to live of of Proverbs and some Psalms. Usually there's two paths, the righteous and the wicked. He says, hold on to both. Okay. Okay. So he's, he's got some dissonance with uh, this part of the scriptures. Uh, when it comes to God, the preacher mentions him throughout the book. And sometimes if you read an isolated verse in Ecclesiastes, you be like, oh, this is, like, this is normal. Yeah, he's like totally orthodox. Um, but uh, as you might know, when we read the scriptures, we want to expand our view, right, and, and look outward to what's around it and hopefully the whole book and see what's the, what's the whole message of it. Because he uses language like fear of God in here to fear the Lord. Um, but when, when you take it collectively with, throughout the book, you kind of see his view of God is more keeping God at a distance, saying that in the end, you can't know God's ways. You won't really know what's going on. God hides that from you, actually. And so um, uh, things like, you know, you think, God, you think God's gonna, like, do good for you if you do good or, you know, that kind of thing. You live your life well with wisdom, then good's going to result but in the end, that's kind of bunk, he says. You can't trust that. And God's ways are kind of inscrutable. You can't know them. And so in the end, don't count on God to understand life. There's kind of a distance he puts between him and God. And so, yes, God's there, but don't really count on him or find meaning in, in, in life there. It's, it's kind of hidden. And so in the end, we've seen the preacher's views on things. Now, Throughout the book, all the pursuits are toil and add up to vanity. Money is of no refuge and is a chasing after the wind. God is distant. His ways are unknowable. And he doesn't hold up his end of the bargain concerning the benefits of a righteous life. So in the end, hold both righteousness and folly together and enjoy your life, eat, drink, and enjoy before you'd go down to the grave where there's nothing. All right, let's pray together. Uh, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't actually pray. I'm just kidding. Okay, let's come up to breathe a little bit. Um, so what do you think? You know, we surveyed the preacher. We've kind of worked through some of those major themes. How do we take the preacher? I think it's best to understand the preacher as sort of a frustrated wisdom scholar, uh, someone who's frustrated with traditional wisdom, and he's kind of got on at his own and is saying, I'm going to figure this out by what I can see with my eyes. I'm going to look at the world, and he essentially approaches it in kind of a God-forgetful way in order to find his own understanding in life. And where does he end up? Everything is meaningless. There's not ultimate gain or benefit in the toil we do. Again, God's unreliable in his his judgments, so uh, don't count on him for a solution. Or I should say, God's unreliable in, in our own understanding of how the world works. like He's doing his own thing that's a bit hidden from us. Um, there's nothing better you can lean on or find for your foundation in life. So in the end, enjoy your life under the sun, right? Distract yourself with enjoyment for this is the best you can do. And this, uh, I don't know if this, if you're already feeling it, but this has some parallels to our age, I think. Um, look at... Uh, there is a sort of pursuit of you know, worldly things and pleasure, yes, but there's also like the degree of emptiness, I think, and futility. Um, in the end, you, live, you only live once, right? Uh, in the end, live it up, enjoy life. Uh, our generation, I think, is the preacher, but with a smile. So here's the preacher with a frown in Ecclesiastes, saying, like, I looked, and it's, like, empty. It's like, I think, or like... It's empty, so just live it up, kind of thing. Uh, Seek comfort, seek joy. Don't worry about eternity and wisdom and God. God's distant anyway, and his ways aren't really knowable. Who can know God? So it's best to just live your life, enjoy it to the utmost, as much as you're able, before you die. And we don't even talk about Bruno. I mean, death, you know. We just leave that away. But this is not the view of the Scriptures, ultimately. And this is actually not the view in Ecclesiastes. Remember how there was that narrator guy at the very beginning? He shows up again in the end. And we see that he's actually speaking to his son, or at least he calls him his son. He's actually uh, teaching and instructing his son in wisdom. It's like the narrator's uh, speaking to his son. He holds up to his son Here's the teaching of the preacher. Shows it to him, and then in the end, he comments on it and says, Here now is wisdom. Ecclesiastes 12:13. We come to the end of the book, the narrator speaking now to his son. It's like he shows him the words of the preacher, he turns to him, gently holds him by the shoulders, looks him in the eye, and says, The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hmm. Well, this is interesting. Fear God and keep his commandments. That sounds a lot like traditional wisdom from the Bible. The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. And this doesn't sound like the conclusion of the preacher. He does mention the fear of the Lord at times, but it's different. It's different than traditional wisdom. So here we have the narrator telling his son, after all this hearing from the preacher, let's bring it back to what you know fear God and keep his commandments. God is going to judge every secret deed good or evil. God, in fact, will rightly judge in the end, not simply leaving it up to life on earth where there are lots of injustices. He will judge in the end. So fear God and keep his commandments. So the narrator speaks out in contrast to the preacher. God will, in the end, call you to a meaningful life. He will call you to a purposeful life. And we see this in light of what? In light of his judgment, right? We see this in light of his judgment. Uh, Though we often think of God's judgment as a fearful thing or a bad thing, uh, in the end, God's judgment also means that everything matters. Because God will judge everything, every secret thing even, whether good or evil, and he's going to evaluate, this was great, this was good, this was not. Then everything you've done in life, everything you do, everything you put your hand to, thus matters. The narrator calls his son back to a worldview where God is at the center of life and how you live it. God is again to be revered and honored and glorified obeyed above all and his son is to live with the end in mind where God will judge everything he has done in life good or evil so the narrator in the end shows these teachings of the frustrated preacher then uses the problematic conclusions there to teach his son a lesson in wisdom Now, why would a father do this to his son? Why use the words of a problematic preacher uh, to teach his son about wisdom? Well, if that kind of feels weird, and I know it did to me, when I was thinking about it just last night, I'm like, there's like almost 12 full chapters of like this guy speaking. Is it really like you're not supposed to follow the stuff? You're not supposed to just copy and paste the preacher's stuff onto your life? that seems kind of weird. Sounds like a lot of space devoted to like weird views in order to learn wisdom. Uh, and if you're like me and thinking that, um, I'd just say, have you considered my servant Job? Hey, have you thought about the book of Job and how much real estate is given in that book to the friends in Job's dialogue, which contains, in the end, ideas that aren't all the way there? Uh, and also, I would ask you, Do we only gain wisdom by observing the wise? Do we only gain wisdom by observing the wise? Does not true wisdom have the ability to see and evaluate foolishness as well? Wisdom does not learn only from those who think alike. Wisdom learns to evaluate and discern good from evil, that which is slightly off. That's what needs correction. Wisdom can learn from an aged wisdom thinker who has veered off course from the wisdom of God. Son, do you see where forsaking God and his commandments leads? Do you see where one can end up if you forsake the ways of God and the fear of the Lord? When you base your life on just what your eyes see and not on the God you know, you may well end up like this, where everything is meaningless. So what can we learn from this today? What can we learn? What's the message in the scriptures for us? Well, are there, you know, are there people in your life, are there ways of thinking that you come into contact with that lacks the fear of the Lord? Are there philosophies of life and ways of approaching it that in the end has no fear of God in its eyes? doesn't care about the judgment of God in the end. There are ways of viewing the world being offered, and they're being offered not just to us, but to those who are coming after us too. So what should we teach the coming generations as they are confronted with a secular view of the world? What can we teach the coming generations as they seek to understand the world? For those of you who are in junior high, high school, college, there's a generation already born That is coming after you, and one day you'll be their spiritual mentors and advisors. What will you teach the coming generations as they are confronted with a secular view of the world? And how will the generation above encourage those in school, those raising young families, as they behold choices riddled with worldly thinking? What will you teach the coming generations as they are confronted with a secular view of the world? Our answer we should instruct the coming generations. Of the fear of the Lord, to fear the Lord, and to show them the emptiness of worldly wisdom. We should instruct the coming generations to fear the Lord by showing them the emptiness of worldly wisdom. So, in the end, think: what what sort of advice do you give? What, what sort of direction do you give to those who are coming after you in the faith? What kind of direction are you are you giving them? And what are you living before their eyes? Do we point them, you know, thoughtfully, artfully, fairly to the emptiness of the world? And do we live out the fear of the Lord? We live out walking in his ways, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, living out, loving our neighbor as ourselves, considering a life pleasing to God. When you're across the table from your child, or maybe at a Starbucks meeting up with another Christian, what sort of advice are you giving them as you hear about their life? Oh, don't worry. You'll be fine. Everything will be good. Have to live it up a little bit. Find some time for yourself. Yeah, entertainment, sports, and hobbies. Nothing like those to give life meaning. Or primarily, are you teaching them the fear of God? Teaching them to follow in his ways. For God will evaluate our lives in the end and thankfully in the end today we are given even more than this at the revelation of Jesus Christ and the gospel for if God sent his son into the world then there is not only death in the end but life forevermore There's a reason to pursue wisdom and not folly because God has indeed called us to a holy life. There's a rich life before God now with the forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of Christ. There's life in the spirit. There's purpose to our labors for the gospel that is not in vain in the Lord. And there is final judgment. For those who are in Christ will see our pardon through his blood and entrance into the kingdom of God. And will also bring about final judgment on those who have persisted in evil and rejection of God. Accounts will be settled, and all that you have done in this life will have mattered, whether small or big, good or evil. Church family, we live in a world where not all wisdom is wise. There are empty ways of viewing the world, but we have answers to these big questions in life and it rests upon who our God is and how he's called us to live. So in the end, let us hold fast to the fear of the Lord, to walking in his ways, to delighting in his commandments, and let us teach and show those who are coming after us what a God-centered life looks like, a God-fearing life looks like, and so live out a full, meaningful, and purposeful life. To that end, let's pray together. Father, would you tend to our minds and to our hearts. That we would not be forgetful of you in the way we live our lives, but that we would walk in the fear of you and in love for you above everything. Teach us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. Lord, give us a heart for the generations following us, that they too would know you, the true God, who is blessed forever, who will judge the earth, Who offers true life and abundance. You help us today to walk in your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.